0: Ooh, it's and modern gods. Ooh. I know it's November 1st, whatever. We're celebrating Halloween. <laughs> because it's Halloween when we're recording this. And thanks. Thanks for joining us. I'm John. And I'm Richard. There you go. You're going to introduce yourself now. You better do it. Like, oh, you're on your own, buddy. Hey, follow us. At, oh, well, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bronze and Modern Gods. It's not up there if you're watching a video. <laughs> because we have our spooky halloween background and if you like our videos hey why don't you like it and subscribe to it come on give us some love and we appreciate you for it today we have our top oddball comics oh our strange spooky spooky weird just off the beaten path comic books our underrated books of the week 25 year rule but first, Richard, it is our Hot Book of the Week. We talked about it on the bonus episode Friday. We touched on it very briefly. Mm-hmm. This
1: week's Hot Book of the Week is House of Slaughter Number 1 by Boone.
0: Ooh, ooh, House of Slaughter! <laughs> uh, this, is, uh,
1: this is a the part of the uh, Something is Killing the Children storyline. Uh, this particular title is starting off telling Aaron's story, one of the characters from that book. Uh, gives a little bit of background into the House of Slaughter. Erica, who's the main antagon- uh, protagonist in the uh, Something is Killing the Children, which makes a brief cameo in this first book. It's For people who want more of Something is Killing the Children, this book really hits, hits the spot. It was heavily ordered. This was not a surprise like Something is Killing the Children was. So there are a lot of copies out there. Um, there are some that are more more favorable than others. There's a uh, a ratio variant that is an homage to Nice House on the Lake, and it's pretty cool looking. Uh, we we as John said, we kind of showed it off during the uh, our our bonus show last week. But it's it's a pretty hot book.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because I. Actually have seen the one in 500 variant, Uh, a few of them swapping hands, which tells me if retailers are ordering 500 copies of something, you know, uh, it's hot, I guess. People want it, but is it tough to find? No. No, but neither was, you know, Amazing Spider-Man 300. I know. Don't remind me. Uh, (laughs) Oh, did you guys stock up on House of Slaughter? I I admit it, the FOMO got me. I got a few of the variants. I got some of uh, the foil cover. I got some of the regular cover. I, I, they, they got me. They got
1: me. Yeah, me too. I got a couple of the one in fifty uh, variants. I got a stack of the A covers. Uh, they'll go in my my box. Who knows? In in uh, two three years, they may be worth something. I think short term, it's it's there's too much initial quantity out there for the demand really to go up to raise the price but you never know so at this point it's it's a a long-term spec
0: we'll see uh but uh did you guys stock up let us know uh one thing that you guys probably haven't stocked up on are the books that we're going to cover on our main topic today (laughs) which are our favorite oddball comics now we're always telling you about hot books we're always telling you about our favorite, Underrated Bronze and Silver Age. We just thought we'd tell you some books that we uh, have particular love for that you may not have and may not have even heard of or just may have not run across. How's that? Yeah, okay. Okay, all right, well, why don't you start <laughs> off?
1: Uh, my my first pick is Love and Rockets, Volume 2, Number 1 from t- 2007. Fanographics. Oh. Yeah, this, this is the second... Uh, series for Love and Rockets. Uh, the first series was a huge hit back in the 80s starring Maggie and Hopi uh, for Hoppers and uh, Palomar for, that was part of Gilbert Hernandez's story. Um, really just deep character-driven comic books. And they, they, were not, they were not necessarily funny. They were not superhero books. These are books about the life of and times of these people, and uh, it's what's really cool about this. The second series is it continues from where uh, you know Maggie and Hopi, the, the the main protagonists, they grow up and they're older, and their lives have changed. And you get to witness that growth, but both of, of them and their families and the people surrounding them. You really get sucked into the story and and the, the culture and the community. That makes up this book, and I'm I'm a huge huge fan of these uh, of Love and Rockets. This 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 book is written by uh, Jaime and Gilbert Hernandez. Um, the Maggie and Hopi story is is uh, Jaime's work. Gilbert's work is the, of Palomar, which is a um, a
0: um, is it a Mexican or it's is a fictitious, it? fictitious city? Fictitious city. Okay. Yeah, in in Mexico, yes.
1: Yes. And it's about their people in that fictitious city and their lives and their suspicions and and superstitions. And it's 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 just as engrossing as um, as uh, Jaime's storyline. But I I tend to favor Jaime's story more than I do
0: uh, Gilbert's book is you go back and forth, though, because I was the biggest Jaime guy and you were a Gilbert guy.
1: Yeah. You know, some of the stuff. You know, some of the stuff like Duck Feet, there are some storylines that I thought were really interesting, uh, some supernatural like storylines that were really, really cool. Um, so, yeah, I go back and forth with it. Uh, the, the cover for volume two is an homage to cover for volume one. It's, it's basically uh, instead of doing different superheroic women in different poses in a, in a lineup, uh, police style lineup, it's basically just Maggie and Maggie from different eras. And it's pretty cool because it it kind of highlights the fact that she has changed from Love and Rockets, number one, where she was this perky um, s- spaceship mechanic, if you could believe that, to, you know, she's now, she's now a, a more mature, uh, both in terms of her body and her personality uh, kind of person. And you get to see that change.
0: For Rand race.
1: <laughs> yeah, for Rand. Yeah. Um, GPA for this book, uh, it's it's there's only nine books on the census. Six of them are 9.8. Uh, the last sale was 80 bucks back in April, so it's it's easy to come by in terms of you know spending the money. Um, it's 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 definitely worth the read. If if you don't pick up this particular book, pick up the trade paperback that's available. Phenographics does a great job on those. It's definitely worth reading. If you read the first series, you'll love the
0: second so the first series was a magazine size and it ran for 50 issues uh this uh, volume two they took it down to comic book size because people always complained that *Raven rockets was magazine size we hate it magazine size let's you know i can if i'm a retailer i can stock it better you know they did that and it was a flop uh, <laughs> you know uh so people really didn't like it in comic book size so after this volume three was still comic book size but it was almost like a uh a, it was an annual it was a graphic novel annual it was about 100 pages it was super thick and it came out once a year which was torture and after a few years of this they they finally wised up and it is back in volume four in magazine size and it's great i totally recommend if you've never dipped your toe into love and rockets start with the paperbacks the tray paperbacks read them in order it makes a lot more sense. You will binge on this like a Netflix show. You will know all the characters. You get lots of nuances when you read it all at once in one sitting or over a few weeks. Uh, you'll see character arcs for minor characters in the background that when you're reading it, you know bi monthly or quarterly, or whenever it was coming out, you don't notice these things. But as you read it in one straight line, you're like, Oh, that's what Daffy was up to all that time. It's these weird character things happen in the background. Um, Gilbert, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried with Gilbert, Luba with her hammer, I love it. <laughs> But then we get into her daughters and yeah, I, I, I kind of get lost. I'm like, I, so maybe I need to give Gilbert another shot. Uh I sound like every uh, basic love and rockets drive by fan. You know, they all kind of say the same thing. I love Jaime. I don't get Gilbert.
1: Oh. <laughs> well, Jaime is more approachable in terms of it's more, it's more comic booky superhero yeah. comic book. You got Penny Century. You've Cold. got, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's more adaptable to what you're probably used to reading.
0: That's true. But Gilbert has the Steve Ditko ish side of him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, I, 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 I think the slickness and the, the, the anatomy uh, mastery of anatomy that Jaime has is just more appealing to me visually. And maybe that's why I'm drawn to him. I will you know, the, the traditional uh, thought is Gilbert is the better writer. Jaime's the better artist. Mm-hmm. I disagree with that. I actually think Jaime's, a god, uh, when it comes to both. Uh, I hope I see you in San Diego. That would be awesome to see him in San Diego. I- I'll have to bring
1: something to get signed because I definitely would get something signed.
0: That would be great. All right. My first book is uh more than just an opportunity for me to say the following sentence: I'm going to whip out my giant-size man thing. <laughs> Boy, <laughs>
1: anybody who's seen our live sales knows
0: knows that reference <laughs> Here is giant man thing the best title ever made uh number four this is pretty infamous not just for the title of the book but it contains the first solo howard the duck story where he fights go the man frog that's not why i'm recommending it it is the main story that is often overlooked and writer steve gerber it just might be his finest moment. Uh, it's a story called Kids Night Out. And I'm not going to spoil it for you guys. You, read it in the Central Man thing. Uh, read it digitally. Buy a back issue. Whatever you have to do. You've got to read it. If you've ever felt bullied or othered or a nerd or an outcast, you must read this story. It is something that I can't believe isn't taught in schools almost. Oh, wow. Uh,
1: that That powerful.
0: It is amazing. It really is. Uh, People who have read it, back me up uh, in the comments. Uh, You will know what I'm talking about. Anyone who has it, I highly recommend this book. A 9.8 last sold in 2012 for $1,725 in 2012, but a 9.6 sold in June of 2020 for just $141. So talk about a hockey stick. Wow. nine six and nine eight and i think it's really because of this black cover i think uh-huh. it's pretty impossible in, in square bound uh so a 9.8 is like hens teeth uh giant size man thing number four it's more than just a bad pun it is a a a graphic comic book masterpiece highly recommended awesome my next pick uh i tried to pick something
1: from different genres uh, this is from the war genre. It's Haunted Tank number one. Now, it is not the Haunted Tank of uh, G.I. Combat fame, uh, which started back in G.I. Combat number 87, but it is related. Uh, that original Haunted Tank was a story of uh, a tank in the Second World War uh, uh, that was commanded by a descendant of Jeb Stuart, the, the Civil War general. Well, the tank was haunted by the spirit of Jeb Stewart and Jeb def- basically defended his uh his his offspring and the story was about the tank and the crew of the tank surviving the second world war really great storyline I enjoyed it it's one of those stories that I remember from my childhood uh reading reading uh, GI combat and reading about the haunted tank um, it, it was a, g- a good story and it had some issues. And we'll talk about that here in a second. Um, the, f- the book that I'm talking about is Haunted Tank. Number one from t- uh, 2008. It's a vertical press book and boy, do they take advantage of the vertical imprint? <laughs> they swear. There's all kinds of violence. Um, you would never seen this. You'd see that level of swearing in the mainstream book. Um, and, and it's is it, this now takes place in the gulf war so you know we fast forward to the 1990s and the, it's it's an M1 tank now instead of a Sherman tank and the descendant of Jeb Stewart who uh, benefits from the haunting of his um, his famous ancestor is actually an African-American sergeant um twist Yes, it is much, much twist because I don't think either are very comfortable <laughs> with the state of that. Um, Jeb says he doesn't, you know, he doesn't care. It doesn't matter to him. Um, the, the sergeant, he's not too sure about it, but Jeb saves his bacon twice in the first issue. And so he's at least open to the idea. One of his crew members <laughs> puts a Confederate flag on the tank, which was a hallmark of the original storyline. Um, there was a Confederate flag on the haunted tank, which you know, and that wasn't really sure that was an angle I, I appreciated, but it was part of the story. Uh and, and there so now here's a, a tank during the Gulf War with a Confederate flag on it, captained by an African American sergeant.
0: It's, I love that we have woke Jeb Stewart.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. He he kinda <laughs> he kinda he takes a pause for a second and he goes, eh, okay. Yeah, okay. Um <laughs> well, this book is not rare. Um, there are only three 9.8s on the census. Uh, the last GPA sale for this book was back in 2019 for $35. Um, there are a couple of different covers for the A cover. I picked the cover with a Confederate flag, it's an American flag and the Confederate flag on there. And just the built in uh, contradiction of that cover, I think, ex- kind of describes <laughs> the storyline it's it's a limited series. It only went five issues. Um, but I think it's definitely one of those wow. one of those books that it's interesting to read.
0: Enough said. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of interesting in air quotes, uh, you guys know my love for Jack Kirby. You know he's my favorite artist of all time. And we cannot have an episode about our favorite oddball books without showing probably the most unsettling, disturbing cover in comic book history. I'm going to say it, or at least in Jack Kirby's au revoir. And that is OMAC number one. Um, it's his wildest creation. Just look at the cover. How can it not be? Uh, there is our star OMAC throwing a box with a woman's dismembered limbs and head and hands uh, inside. Now, when you read the story, it makes sense. But when you see this cover, you're like, what is happening? What's going on? <laughs> Talk about context. <laughs> uh, the, I can tell you it has to do with uh, Obak destroying a factory of Build-A-Friends, which is where you can build your own friend. And this is the box they come in. So those are the different parts. And you assemble your friend. Uh, Jack Kirby, yes, Jack Kirby predicted a world. You know, it was so out there. So let me tell you some of the things he predicted in this book that just would never, ever come to pass. Uh, Some men become so rich that they have billions and billions and billions of dollars and they can build their own rockets. I mean, that's crazy, Jack. What are you thinking? That could never happen. Never, ever. He also predicted a world where people are so lonely and disaffected that they find comfort in virtual friends and avatars over the expense of real human beings that could never happen either richard right no no not in this society and in Omac, jack kirby predicted a world where the world's climate was in such bad shape that water became more and more valuable to the point where it was more valuable than gold we're not quite there yet give us <laughs> like 10 years yeah but this book Omac number one is kind of infamous for comic fans uh, of a certain age because it clogged quarter boxes for decades. It was not a success. Um, It ran eight issues. It really got canceled because Jack was going back over to Marvel in 1975, but it wasn't a sales success. Uh, Issue one was heavily ordered by retailers at the time or news agents at the time. And so it was not a tough book to find. However, history is on Jack's side as always even when it comes to things like devil dinosaur and machine man history is on Jack's side. It's finally getting its due 9.8 sold for $600 in September. So this book okay. is going to be pricey. Yeah. It, it's readily available in a hardback, a uh, trade paperback. If you want insanity, that'll freak you out and make you say, wait, that's actually happening. Now check out Jack Kirby's OMAC.
1: Hmm. And look at that white cover. That's got to be tough and high grade.
0: It's not an easy book in high grade because it was bopping around in quarter bins for decades. Mm-hmm. Nobody gave a crap. So if you find a high grade copy, hold on to it.
1: You're right. I've come across quite a number of copies over the years that I've just passed on by. <laughs> that, that
0: that that and Shazam number one were the two DC number one books that and a, uh, first issue special number one with Atlas. You always saw those three books in quarter bins. <laughs> years and two out of three ain't bad. Atlas still isn't. You know, <laughs> waiting for his day.
1: My pick, it may sound a little strange, my next pick. Um, it is Zoot number 7 from 1947 uh, by Fox Publishing. It is the first appearance of a character named Rula. And if you look at the cover here, you see uh, here's a woman in the bikini because that's what you did in the jungle. You wore a bikini and she's fighting uh, a, a leopard or, or, or some such. Uh, she's got a dagger in her hand, and she's full on at it.
0: Roo-la-la. La.
1: <laughs> this is an example of a book by uh, one of the one of the famous artists of this period. Matt Baker uh, produced. Matt Baker is the first African American artist who had success with a major publisher. Um, So I've I've always had a soft spot in my heart for for his work. The art is amazing. Uh, I'm a big fan of Google art covers. And this line, the Zoot line, uh, which goes up to issue number 16, uh, and then later the Rula um, titled after the main character, uh, she had her own line. Uh, There's just amazing covers, the whole set of series. Um, There are plenty of racist tropes throughout these books both in the covers uh featuring pygmies and um other natives in various garbs
0: and are are we going full-on bones through noses yeah
1: yeah we're doing the bone through noses thing take a look at issue number 13 but you know what you got to take it in context this is the 1940s uh and things like racial sensitivity (laughs) were not something that we're high on on the priority list. They just spent five years uh, disparaging pretty much everyone Asian because of the second world war, and you know,
0: in Germany. They had to, some they had to move on to someone else. Like yeah, they did.
1: <laughs> so, you know, the, I, I forgive art for, you know, contextual, you know, for context, you know? So the, I think that this book is in this whole series really is really undervalued. You can pick up um, there's a, the, the highest, well, let's say that an 8.0 you could pick up in April uh for 1440 bucks, which to me from a book from 1947 and an 8.0 is is just an amazing price that you can buy something.
0: So you think the, the audience for this book is aging out?
1: I think the audience for this book is perennial. If you talk about strong female characters, mm-hmm. if you think about it, you know, nineteen nineteen forty-one Wonder Woman came out. Yeah. Um, nineteen forty seven, just just six years later. You know, Wonder Woman is being tied up and spends her whole career for the first 10 years of her uh, superhero title uh, getting out of bondage situations that she's in. Um, this woman is leaping on giant cats with a dagger. And it's this is not like an isolated cover for her. She takes She takes the bull by the horns. And mm-hmm. I think it's one of those strong female characters that, um, it's just remarkable for 1947. You I mean, remember 1947, um, women that were just coming out of working in the factories in the second world war. And there was this transition back to, you know, the 1950s ideal of the housewife. And, um, you know, that's what people were aspiring to, not this woman, this woman was out there, uh, and she was taking care of herself. She was not relying on anyone. And I think that kind of, that mindset and the fact that the co- covers for these books were so gorgeous. Yeah. I think will make these, you know, a perennial favorite for collectors.
0: Excellent. All right. This next book is not a perennial favorite for collectors. In <laughs> fact, I think I might be the only person that ever has uh, made a point to hunt down the whole two issue run. Uh, you guys proved me wrong. I'm happy to hear so, but here is teen beat number one from DC comics. What? <laughs> teen beat was dc's bizarre misguided attempt to capture the female teen market i guess i guess they wanted a comic book size teen mag um the first issue featured the monkeys which if you watch this podcast you know i'm a fan <laughs> you had to have it by the way where it says uh, the monkeys splitting up question mark they were together for another two and a half years after this came so this is not an easy book. Um, I had to hunt this down for a few years. The highest recorded sale is for a CGC 7.5 this past July for a whopping $150. This is better than a 7.5. I'm thinking this is a 9.2 or so. Oh, get it this, Yeah, I should. This is highly sought after for monkeys fans. They do look for this book mostly on eBay. Um, and just it's funny. It's kind of a combination of some comics in here. Some stories, the photographs produce horribly because it's newsprint. Right. Um, Just trying to see DC's older white writers in their fifties try to speak to the groovy gear teens of the (laughs) sixties is really funny. Like you just get random things like out of sight, uh, in groovy color. Ooh. wow that's pretty the- <laughs> With issue number two um the lawyers for the magazine teen beats which shared the same name must have come calling because <laughs> teen beat is teen beam uh, oh boy which makes no sense what's a teen beam i have no idea uh, it's just not a team beat. That's all that matters. <laughs> right, but you no, know, they couldn't couldn't resist having the monkeys on the cover yet again. So who's that woman see? on the cover? That that woman there is uh, uh, Peter Noon from Herman's Hermits. <laughs> so, oh, okay. <laughs> Peter Noon, she's very effective that uh, but this issue features the Rascals, mm-hmm. uh, the monkeys. Hermans, Hermits, Love and Spoonful, The Association, you know, and of course, the hot new band with a new kind of sound called EMS. Uh, they obviously didn't. They didn't. Make up, so, uh, Teen Beat, now available for 12 cents at Groovy Color at your newsstand. <laughs> we'll get it, teens of today.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm sure they'll jump on it.
0: All right, that was more than 50 years ago. Can you believe that? T that Teen Beat and Teen Beam were came out 50 years ago, Richard. What's half of 50? Well, that would be 25, John. It's the 25 year rule. Hey. Smooth <laughs> like peanut butter, my friend. <laughs> This week, we go back to 1996, as we do every week for the 25-year rule, and we feature Image Comics' The Darkness, number one. This Witchblade spinoff from Mark Silvestri and Garth Ennis was fairly popular. Um, Issue one had four different covers. It ran for 40 issues until mid-2001. Yeah, I didn't know it ran that long, volume one later issues starting around issue 19 actually had newsstand distribution all the way to the end Uh, image on the newsstands till 2001. I had no idea. So there are newsstand copies of these later issues. Uh, The darkness, you know, uh, fairly popular. I don't think people care about it now. A 9.8 sold this last August for $82. This book has been relaunched twice since then, but it hasn't had a single issue published since 2009. So I think Mark Silvestri is just not interested and in just, does Mark Silvestri work anymore? I don't, I don't know. That's a good question. You know, Mark probably just sitting back living off interest. <laughs> <laughs> letting, it, <laughs> letting it compound daily. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of interest from what I can see, John. Uh, but I'm, um, <laughs> it's funny that, you know, the image founders, most of them consider Mark to be the best artist uh, of all of them um what do you think about that who's your favorite image artist out of the original six i'd have to say jim lee jim lee yeah, yeah. i can do that i i'm i'm the weirdo that likes wills portacio oh really yeah you know he's he's kind of gotten lost to history but um well you know his his figure work was really dynamic but his storytelling was difficult to follow i remember when he was drawing uncanny x-men and i couldn't tell what the blank was going on
1: <laughs> sin Kevin's bad or
0: not bad. no just like you know here's fitzroy and he's over here and he's doing something and there's like a bunch of captions to make up for the lack of storytelling okay so maybe wilson's isn't my favorite oh how can i forget eric larson oh, eric, Clark- yeah. mm-hmm. eric larson's my favorite duh <laughs> I am out of it. All right, did you guys collect Witchblade or the Darkness? I can't think of I can't think of anybody I know that actually bought those books. No, not me. How about you guys out there? Let us know. Uh, time for us to move on to our underrated books of the week. Richard, um, yours is a hairy mess.
1: <laughs> uh, my, my pick comes from a conversation that I heard on I, I listen to other podcasts. And I have to say, I'm, um, there was a conversation about Alpha Flight potentially being what follows uh, Guardians of the Galaxies. Got Galaxy um, as that cosmic team. You know, this is going to be the the new Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy three. Uh, that's going to be the last movie with the current cast. Uh, so something is going to replace them. I, I we are not marvel is not done um with the cosmic um uh, portion of their storytelling so the the thought was maybe alpha flight would would be the successor and that made me think well alpha flight has a number of pretty iconic members in it do you think vindicator or guardian whatever area you wanted to mention that particular hero you got um uh, North star. And you've got, a, you know, it, it's full of a lot of characters that have history throughout Marvel. One of my favorite characters though, from that, from that team is puck. Watch your mouth. <laughs> Holy puck. Um, he's uh, he is uh, a really just energetic character, a little misogynistic, but you know, again, this is the era. This is the context. If you read issue number five, which is my pick, Alpha Flight number five, this is what I consider his solo story. He's on the cover. He's doing this uh, series of flips on the cover. Um, And the story is about him and his recovery from uh, an earlier uh, storyline. There there aren't any other uh, Alpha Flight members in this other than Shaman. And uh, it tells the story of him kind of doing a whodunit about some, some missing drugs in the hospital. It's it's an interesting story to me. It it, it helps expand the character. But you know, for me, if you're looking for a book for a potential um, potential value for Alpha Flight, I think this is a really cool book that you can buy right now for. Almost cover price. I mean, it's 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 not a very it's not a very sought after book at this point. Um, the, the the last uh, sale on GPA uh, a nine point eight sold for uh, one hundred and five dollars in June. Hmm. There are eighty six on the census, seventy one of them are nine point eights. But I think there's a lot of potential here. I mean, if we look at books from you know, this is nineteen eighty three, this is kind of like the sweet spot of um, John Byrne's work. And I think there's a lot of potential if Alpha Flight becomes something more, uh, becomes a part of the MCU, people are going to be hunting down these kinds of solo stories uh, in the run. And again, they're they're really, really affordable at this point.
0: Wasn't there a retcon after Burn left the title where Puck was revealed to be a uh, someone cast a spell on him and made him live in this small dwarfish body like an elf or something there was some stupid retcon i think oh my goodness
1: i'm glad i missed that
0: yeah it's probably you guys know in the comments hit me up uh (laughs) but yeah there was a lot of weirdness going on after john Byrne left this book Uh, he really didn't have a lot of interest in doing it he just kind of did it in a lot of ways, it shows <laughs> because <laughs> you know, issue twelve, he kills the fan favorite main character. Oops, sorry, everybody, spoiler. Um, but yeah, Alpha Flight. I, I, I after the first twelve issues, I was out. The minute Vindicator got killed, I was like, nah, I am, this is not going anywhere."
1: Yeah I, I i kept more I kept going for a little bit longer than that, but I hear what you're saying. Uh, let me also say for this book and a number of other early Alpha Flight books, there was a um, warehouse find. Someone mm-hmm. f- came across uh, a number of unopened uh, cases of these books. And if you go on eBay, you can see people, uh, the gentleman, he's got stacks yeah. of these books available. They're all 9698 near-mint books He's also got stacks of X Factor Number One. If you're interested
0: in X Factor, that's why when you and I saw the facsimile edition of Alpha Flight Number One coming out, we both were like, "Wait, you can get this for a quarter!" Right, right. Four dollars for a reprint of this book. Yeah, so I'm I'm telling you,
1: don't don't go spend a lot of money for anything that's not not a nine eight. Um, you can you can find there they are they are plentiful. The higher grades are plentiful for this book. Because of that warehouse fine, so be be sensitive to that when you're looking at buying a book. Um, Yeah, that's my pick.
0: By the way, if we're looking for a team to replace the Guardians of the Galaxy, everyone knows it should be the Star Blasters led by Quasar. Uh, So just keep that in mind. Marvel, thank you. My underrated book of the week is in theme with the past holiday we just had yesterday, Halloween. It is A Dark Shadows, number one. Wow. Yeah. This is from Gold Key Comics. Nice photo cover featuring uh, Jonathan Frid as Barnabas Collins. It is based on the hugely popular ABC daytime soap opera. What's funny is this book didn't come out until 1969, which is probably the biggest year for Dark Shadows on TV. It got canceled a year and a half right after this, the TV show but the comic book ran all the way up to almost 1976. Uh, Dark shadows, in case you don't know, was a Gothic romance. It eventually started very, started very slowly on TV. It almost got canceled after the first year until they did a Hail Mary and introduced a vampire villain named Barnabas Collins, who became a sensation and actually became a good guy and stayed on the show. Be careful with this book for you, before you buy it, it, is supposed to have a poster inside oh. in the centerfold and the majority of them are missing the poster. So always double check to make sure that the poster is included with the original staples. Um, dynamite comics relaunched dark shadows a few years ago. I read it. I have the full run. I have to say it was not too shabby, especially for a dynamite comic. Cause you know, they're pretty chintzy. Uh, it was quite good. A CGC 8.5 of the original Dark Shadows from Gold Key, number one, sold in September for $600. So this book is sought after by Dark Shadows nerds like myself who have the full run of the series on DVD. I actually have it. It's over here. I can't show it to you right now because it's very heavy, but it came in a coffin. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) And it's huge because, you know, it was a five-year It was a show that ran for five and a half years Mm -hmm. every day, Monday through Friday. And almost every single episode exists still. So it's over 1,200 episodes. Wow. Uh, So there is, I think, 38 DVDs that it comes with. And it comes in a coffin. And you open the coffin up. And on the front of the the, uh, open coffin is a signed picture from Jonathan Frid. Oh, that's awesome. So uh, God uh, rest in peace, Jonathan, Frid, uh, and Barnabas. We love you. And that is going to wrap up our somewhat Halloween oddball special today. Spooky stuff. (laughs) Make sure you follow us at Facebook and Instagram at the Blondes and Modern Gods. Oh, I'll stop (laughs) Yes, if you
1: don't want to hear any more of John's terrible accents, go to our website at Gods.com.
0: Carloff? for you uh, Ed Wood fans out there I won't say the next line because it's very foul we will see you for our bonus episode later this week thanks Richard yep everybody stay safe